This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. As many of you listening know, there are times at work or in our lives where we think we have the next great idea and how it may transform things around us or better the company that we work at, yet then it hits a stone wall and may not move further forward. For some reason, there are times when creativity is discouraged and the safe play is the path that leadership follows. Former Wharton assistant professor Jennifer Mueller looks at this issue in her new book, Creativity Change, Why We Resist It, How We Embrace It. She's now an associate professor of management at the University of San Diego, and Jennifer joins us right now. Jennifer, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. have had a chance to visit that campus a couple of times. Beautiful campus up there in the hills above San Diego. Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's a real, str- it's a real <laughs> it's struggle to have to work real, there. It's a real bummer, yeah. Yeah, I can tell. You're, you're better off than on the, on the cold East Coast. Uh, oh. So, so... Are leaders scared at times to to kind of bring some of these creativity, creative ideas forward? I would say that a it's not their fault. Okay. B yes, and C in part what we're finding is the reason why is because of how organizations are structured. What we've learned is that the way organizations are structured, it creates, and the way leaders are trained. They're, they're trained with what we have found to be a certain mindset, a certain way of believing good decision-making happens. And what we found is that when you tell people, get the responsibility to start allocating resources, that just merely putting them in that role makes them want to make correct, accurate, good decisions. Right. Right? This sounds all reasonable. Um, so, and, and they also want to know which ideas are the best and how to implement them. These are the big concerns that people tend to have in organizations when they care about making these great decisions. Um, well, guess how good or guess whether or not creative ideas can be the best. How, how do you know? I mean, creative ideas don't have metrics. They haven't been around for a while. You might not know anybody or another company that's been using them. Right. And those are the exact kind of property status quo kind of solutions. Those solutions have an abundance. So what ends up happening is you get a creative idea. It has weird metrics. You don't really know much about it. And it doesn't allow a decision maker to make a correct decision. They don't have the data. And, in fact, what that does then is it then creates this kind of a view of, well, that must not be creative because ideas that are creative have the data that allow me to, A, make good decisions, and, B, justify my decisions. Well, you talk a little bit about the fact that that, that sometimes these biases that, that happen in the workplace, uh, I guess especially to, like, the managers or, or to the C-suite, they, they at times tend to be kind of unknown, correct? That's right. So I think what what we're dealing with is people and managers have been trained how to manage change, and that's great. But those very best practices for managing change don't work so awry when you have creativity in the mix. 
And creativity is just a different animal because the psychology around creativity and how you recognize it is different. And the fundamental reason why is there's this unknowability that you have. Calculating risk is a wasted exercise. ROI, what does that even mean? Instead, the kind of way to think about creativity might be better served by not thinking like a decision maker making good decisions, but like an inventor figuring out, getting curious about the answer. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844 942 7866. If you'd like to join in and ask a question of our guest, Jennifer Mueller, uh, assistant professor at the University of San Diego, former Wharton assistant professor as well. 844 942 7866 is the number to give us a call. What's interesting is that you also talk about the fact that. Obviously, this is a an issue in the corporate world, uh, but this is also kind of an issue throughout society in a variety of different locations. Yes, this what well, I call it this how best mindset, and this is a mindset we use as consumers. This is a mindset we use in many aspects of our life to make decisions quickly and efficiently. We want to know which is the best one, and we want to know how to implement it and use it. And it's uh, it, it is. It's also how we teach our students in our classes with multiple choice tests and the right answers. Um, and it underlies, I think, in our labs when we put people in these mindsets, we find that they associate the word creative with words like vomit. And they tend yeah. to sound great, great idea. <laughs> um, and and so, so what makes this tricky is just this how this mindset can be really valuable and useful in many aspects of how we make decisions. It just leads us down the wrong path when we try and need creativity and open up opportunity for creativity in our organizations and our, in our lives. I'm going to guess that, that potentially one of the places where you could see this as a, as a significant issue and seemingly it's a, it's a topic we've talked about a lot this, this week and in weeks past is Capitol Hill and kind of the dysfunction that kind of goes on in, in Capitol Hill and Washington DC right now. That's right. And when I think about this question of Obamacare, you know, what one thing we might be seeing is, you know, if you let's imagine like most decision makers, the Republican Party are in this how best kind of a way of thinking. Right. Um, And what that means is they want the solution that will work, the correct one that can justify to the American people that it will make a difference. Right. Um, And the problem is when you have that, you see metrics. And the Republican Party, what are the metrics? What would a good metric even look like? So, so, so that's in question. And the second, of course, is the, the second problem that they have is that the American people also have a how-best mindset way of viewing whatever policy they're going to put in place. They want it to work. They want immediate results. When, in fact, the reality is that any policy has bugs. Parts of it look great, parts of it don't. When Obamacare was initially launched, the website crashed. Of course yeah. it did. You know, yeah. that's normal. That's just business as usual for any innovator, any entrepreneur. Um, yet when you evaluate it from this how-best perspective, there's no tolerance for that reality. And it makes it harder for people to actually embrace solutions that are good for them and because these solutions ultimately change and iterate and get better. But can you see, uh, uh, is there a potential that we're going to see a shift in this in the future? I think part of what I'm hoping is the realization that this is a new kind of leadership skill, that we okay. have been training leaders like you can know answers. Right. And if you know answer, you're a good leader. And there's another way to think, which is Leaders don't have to know the answer if they know the process of how to get the answer, if they're curious, 
if they start asking questions, if they kind of just sort of let the air in a little bit to say, you know, we, we don't need to always know. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to experiment. And failure is what you're supposed to be doing. It's not the thing you're supposed to avoid. It's actually the thing that you want to seek because then you can learn. Then you can actually make the kind of changes to improve. I, I, I wondered to a degree, and, and there are seemingly have been things that we have talked about on this show uh, over the while that do tend to lead me to think that, that there could be a little bit of a generational issue where this is concerned. And, and I'm wondering if, if there is any difference that, that you have been able to gleam in the acceptance of creativity with millennials compared to the baby boomer generation. Great question. You know, we expected the millennials to be much more embracing of creativity. We're finding the opposite. Oh, really? We're finding finding that millennials are just as good as any other generation at generating original ideas. Right. We're finding that they're having a harder time or less motivation around elaborating on those ideas. And there's other research coming out showing that they have more fear around embracing creative ideas. And to quote a student in one of my classes the last week, when we had an idea generation exercise, that was great. Everybody did great. But when they were tasked to select a really creative idea, one of the students raised her hand and says, you know, Professor Mueller, maybe it's too late for us. We just don't feel comfortable with this. We don't, we can't fail. We, ha- we have so much pressure on us to do the correct thing. So maybe this should have happened earlier in our lifetime, this kind of a training. So my, what I'm seeing is not that millennials, we think younger people should embrace creativity more. Right. Um, and what, what I'm seeing is we have inculcated this how best way of thinking. You have to be correct. There's one best solution. Um, you want to be accurate. And if you're not, you're a failure, you know? Um, and what we've, this kind of mindset is leading us down not only towards our leaders not being able to see value in the new because they're so focused on making correct decisions, right. but our young people too. Well, and it's interesting because to a degree, uh, what we're starting to see in education is more of a, a, a push towards creativity. Or, you know, I, I know in my kids' school and, and many schools now, the, the concept of mindfulness is coming up. So, you know, it, we're seeing a little bit of a shift at the lower end of, of, the, of the ladder right now. I, I, I hope it's, it's one that's going to change down the road, correct? I hope so, too. It's tough in education because when you're educating someone and you're a teacher, you're focusing on helping them learn what you know and stay within bounds of what you know, in part because that's how you can fairly grade them. Students don't like ambiguity. Ambiguity means there's a correct answer, but you don't know what it is. No one likes that. That's what I think people have believed creativity is. It's ambiguous. There's a correct answer. We just don't know. Um, And creativity isn't ambiguous. It's uncertain. Nobody knows the answer, not just the teacher. And that makes it very hard to grade fairly and to justify why you're going to give this person child an A and not this child. Um, I do think it's coming in. But I think that the key skill that matters is learning, helping kids learn how to change their minds. That okay. there's not one best solution. Right. That there are many perspectives and perhaps many possible ways to see the same problem. And I feel like that's the critical component that can be integrated into the way we educate students and certainly our executives as well. Well, and then obviously part of that has to be the teachers, correct? Yes. 
That's right. And I think there's been a lot of emphasis on, you know, diminishing ambiguity, which I think is a good goal, but not necessarily this focus on, you know, uncertainty is okay. Uncertainty is not ambiguity. Uncertainty means you can't know. The great thing about uncertainty is you can feel hopeful about uncertainty. That science project that you put together, and you don't know if it's going to work. It's not ambiguity. There's not a a correct answer out there somebody knows that you missed, per se. It's just something no one can tell you about. And there can be hope around that. And there can also be a lot of anxiety. And I think when you get out your grading rubric, all of a sudden that anxiety becomes really palpable. But I would... the challenge to face. I would think, though, if, if you take it to the other end of the spectrum, you know, going away from schools and, and go back to business for a second, that this lack of creativity at times, and, and you know, I don't know if there's actually data out about this, but but th- that there has to be a a, uh, a a a definite link in terms of loss of productivity or, or loss of GDP in this country and other countries around the world because of this problem. I think it's going to be more and more prominent, I think, as the world gets bigger and faster. And there's more need for our how-best thinking because it allows us to organize efficiently. You may have heard these terms, best practices. Oh, yeah. Well, I hear them more and more and more. And when you think about best practices, what that means is don't change. Right. What that means is do what everybody else is doing. What that means is you can justify your decision even if it fails because it was best practice somewhere else. So it must have been in the implementation. It didn't work. And it's that kind of thinking and that kind of reliance on these ways of thinking to help justify our decisions that will make it very hard for us to stop just running on our treadmills and instead go in directions that will ultimately sustain us. We're joined by uh, Jennifer Mueller, who is the uh, author of the book, Creative Change, Why We Resist It, How We Embrace It. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You're more than welcome to join in with a comment or a question. The number to uh, give us a call is uh, is uh, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. One of the groups that you mentioned, Jennifer, in in the book is is activists. And when I saw this group included, I found it interesting because to me, when I think of activists, you're talking about somebody that's that's kind of trying to break away from the establishment, to have creativity, to bring forth new ideas. But it's not necessarily the case, correct? You, you mean activists in terms what's the context? Well, I, I mean, well, when you think of an activist that, that is trying to impact a company, uh, mm-hmm. they are a lot of times trying to bring change and, and bring new ideas forward or creative uh, ideas forward. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is that not always the case that activists may want change, but they want it to be change that they know and have relied on for, for, for year after year after year? That's correct. So part of what I'm saying is not all changes are creative. There's changes where you can operate within business as usual but cut costs or do more of what you've been doing before, perhaps sell more, just go global as opposed to being local. And these kinds of changes are all consistent with your beliefs about your company and how you do business and your strategy. And they're changes, though. And you can be an activist in the context of those changes. And then there are the kinds of changes 
that cut through and are in some ways seem and feel opposite of what you think your core business is. Right. And it's those kinds of changes that are more creative changes. I mean, and they can sometimes be very simple. If you look at lawyers and you talk about online documentation, even now, even though much of our life is online, you know, you try to buy a house and you tell a lawyer, I want to sign all these documents online, their head will explode. Sure. And so part of the reason why, and they'll tell you all the reasons why that's not good and you shouldn't, but part of the reason why is that to them would be a creative change. It would be doing the opposite of how they define the process that is key and best practice in their organization. Um, and so, yes, you can have activists, and activists are great, but just because you're trying to make change doesn't mean you're actually making creative change or change that will differentiate you from what your competitors are doing. 844-942-7866 is the number to join in with your comments. Jennifer Mueller is the uh, author of the book Creative Change, former uh, Wharton uh, assistant professor, now an assistant professor out at the University of San Diego. 844-942-7866. Uh, understanding that you have bias is, is part of the, uh, the, the problem to tackle here. Uh, if you do that, uh, how do you go about kind of changing your mindset then? Well, I think that what I, what I hope for executives is I hope that they can read this book and feel that there's a little sunshine that can be let in, meaning that, that this belief system we have about knowing the answer, and that means you're a leader, is something that is just that. It's a belief system, and it's not true. And in fact, the, the book talks about uh, Laura Huang's research, who is an assistant professor at Wharton yeah. now, yep. and she finds something miraculous phenomenal. She finds that if you focus on the metrics, um, she finds those metrics do not protect profits of, venture, of new ventures. They just don't long term. But if you focus on your gut feel, if you, if you make decisions as a decision maker using your gut, and in her case, she talks about looking at the characteristics of the founder of the company as being part of how people use their gut feel, that people who do that actually make money. They can predict the big successes more so than if they use their metrics. So the, the way in which I think of it is it can be very hard if your pattern recognition, if you believe that pattern recognition is how you find innovation, you're already lost because we already know that innovative ideas don't look like the pattern by definition. Right. So pattern recognition is a failing path. Looking at the ROI, looking at these indicators like crowds can be messy and buggy because you can buy crowds from India. You may have heard of the term vanity metrics. Right, right, um, yeah. And furthermore, people can be in a crowd because other people are in the crowd, not because the, the idea itself is any good. Um, and also, you know, the idea could be great, but not really well suited to show a crowd, like uh, the Post-it note was initially <laughs> launched with mass advertising, yeah. and nobody knew what the heck it was. That's right. And so they showed them pictures, they said how great it was, and they got no response, so it almost died an early death, yeah. except what happened was Art Grief, what he did, his, his key selling point, was he gave Post-it notes to the admin staff of the VPs. And the admin staff got addicted to them and started using them. And then the VP started saying, why are admin staff using them, but we can't advertise them? So then two VPs thought the idea that they'd go to customers and show them the product, and all of a sudden that started to jumpstart sales. So in other words, you know, 
some ideas might not be as easy to sell by just showing people a picture or advertising. So right. if you don't get sales, it doesn't mean it's not good. It means it needs to be sold a different way. So the metrics can be very misleading and you know, shifting your mindset to focus more on the person's ingenuity. Can they figure out problems? Are they curious? Um, are they trying to interpret their failure and figure out what to do next? That if that kind of thinking is more likely when you have a creative idea to yield you the, the opportunity that you seek. So is this something that that may be able to affect companies, especially like through through HR divisions uh, in the future? If if you change the mindset of the HR division in, in thinking about some of these ideas, it may be able to open up greater opportunities for companies as well. I think so. I think that there's a chapter in the book, Chapter 6, where I literally talk about how it is you can get organizations to let the air in, let the sunshine in. And part of what I see is all checks and no balances for creativity. We have so many checks on creativity. The number of decision layers in your company is a huge check on creativity. If you have more than one, and sometimes you can have hidden ones, like you might have legal, you might have people in manufacturing, you might have people in sales, yep. and you might have the actual first the steering committee. You know, all those are checks on, on on creativity. It's not that you don't want checks. It's that the more checks you have, the more likelihood you're not going to see those ideas percolate to the top, even when they're being generated. And so it's understanding uh, both change your mindset, but also looking at the structure to see, because the structure drives the mindset. And so part of what we part of what I argue is you know, changing the structure can help change the mindset. Or even if it can't change the mindset, it might give opportunity for people in that mindset to make change. So for example, if you're a decision maker and you're given a portfolio of ideas, the likelihood and what I see is that portfolio of ideas has very, very few creative ideas. It's already been weeded out by the earlier layers. Um, another way to go is to give them a larger range of ideas that have already been pre-vetted for how creative they actually are, not by the decision makers themselves, because right. they have a different definition of creativity, but by other people in the organization. And then give those decision makers a mandate to say, look, you have to select some ideas to one, whatever the number is, that these other people view as very creative and what this does is it might feel very uncomfortable for them to select this crazy thing that they're like, that's not creative. Look at the metrics on this. This makes no sense. Right. But they have a mandate and a reason to then justify their decision later. And so they don't feel like it's all on their shoulders. Jennifer, thank you very much for giving us your time today. By the way, it's about, uh, it's about 55 and sunny in Philadelphia. So you're not missing a lot today out there in San Diego. Oh, yeah, well, it's raining here, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow, that's a rarity in California. I know it is. Thank you, Jennifer. Greatly appreciate your time. All the best with the book. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Jennifer Mueller, the book is uh, available uh, in bookstores and online. It is called Creative Change. Jennifer Mueller is the author of it, uh, Creative Change, Why We Resisted and How We Can Embrace It. Many thanks to Jennifer for giving us uh, her time here today to talk about that book. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.